I was really struggling about, you know, God, everything was set in place for me to come over here. And now it's only been this short time I'm getting sent back and I don't understand it. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking in good faith today with Blair White. He's the pastor of the Salt Lake City Community of Christ Congregation. Blair, thank you for coming in. My pleasure to be here. We're going to get to this in a minute. You have been hopscotching all over the world with different assignments, but I want to go back. Your beginnings, Martins Ferry, Ohio, where you were born and raised. Talk to me about what church was like or religion or spirituality as you were growing up. What, what are your memories of that? Well, my early, earliest memories are that of attending a, a small Presbyterian. We lived in a rural community, and it was a small Presbyterian church. Um, it was within walking distance, but it was, it was a hike. It was along a busy road. And my mother would—she uh, was working Sundays, and she would drop her five children off at the Coleraine United Presbyterian Church. And so sort of church-slash-daycare. Yeah, I guess. Uh, it, we would either walk home or one, a neighbor would ride us home, and it, it was always good. And what do you remember from the meetings? Well, I, I was pretty young, so you know, I was eight and under. You know, I can remember crafts. I remember Kool-Aid and crackers for snack. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. In fact, those are probably most children's memories if there was food involved or, or, or somebody nice. Yeah. I think my earliest memories include seeing lots of people's shoes because I was short. Talk to me about then encountering your faith, Community of Christ. My mother was dropping us off at the Presbyterian church, and they approached uh, her about baptizing her children. And she said, let me think about that for a while, because hmm. she was raised in what was then known as the RLDS, or Organized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But she hadn't been a participant much. She had been married once before she met my dad, and she had been attending his faith. So she hadn't really given faith a lot of thought, at least active for herself until they popped this question for her. And so she took us uh, to the congregation uh, on Wheeling Island. It's, a, it's an island in the middle of uh, the Ohio River. And there's about 5,000 people that live on the island, so it's not, it's not an isolated island with a little church on it. Mm. So she took us over there, and um, we got to know the people, and we fell in love with the people. The people fell in love with us, and that was our church home from about the time I was nine onward. I think we were baptized when I was 10. Uh, all five of the children were baptized at one time. There was an odd thing going into that. The elder that was supposed to baptize us, uh, he was at our home to talk about what faith means to us as a family and as children, you know, our limited perspectives. He was the one that was going to baptize us. And several nights later, he was killed in an auto accident. Mm. And, but the baptism you know, it still continued. And the funny thing about that is for years, I mean 20 or more years, I thought the story went that my parents owned a couple of restaurants. And my brother, my oldest brother on from my mother's side, was working in the restaurant uh, cleaning up and those kind of things in the evenings. And I thought the story went that he was struggling about the death of John, the man that was supposed to baptize and was killed in an 
accident and that he experienced something that told him that it was okay because John's work was done because uh, the work that he had done in bringing us alongside in the faith. And I thought that for years. And my brother was going through a divorce in the early 80s. And he was just really struggling with faith and those kind of things. And I reminded him of that story. And he said, Blair, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) So I guess the story wasn't his. The story was mine all along. And so I just call that part of my sacred journey that I thought it was someone else's story, but it was my story. I've just found really a, a deep interest in that because considering our shared faith tradition about a young boy trying to seek his way through faith and how we're told later there's different versions of that story. Right. But that's okay because we always understand it different down the path as we come to understand things better for ourselves. But you did not immediately see clergy as your path, as I understand it. Well, between our shared faith tradition, uh, most of the most of the clergy mm-hmm. um, are lay ministry, and so I saw that as a part of my journey. I was ordained a deacon at the age of fourteen, which is very unusual within the community of Christ slash RLDS tradition, and so I just had this propensity for faith. Hmm. And for, I sensed at an early time that God had something for me to do, and I wasn't sure exactly what that was. And so I had been working, you know, in a, in a, in a family business and was happy doing that and serving as an elder and pastor uh, within our congregation there at, on and off at different times as needed. Could I interrupt just sure. to ask, what did that mean or what did that feel like to you at a young age to feel like God did have something for you to do? It felt like a tremendous responsibility. Hmm. And as a teenager, I failed. I failed. And with that failure came uh, a lot of sense of remorse. I will admit there were times in my best of thinking Uh that I wouldn't do things because uh, of my responsibility within the life uh, life of the church. And so it was formative. And I appreciate you know, looking back, I'm thankful that call came early in my life mm-hmm. because I think it helped guide me in in ways that I might have gone other ways <laughs> had I not accepted that commitment and that covenant uh, to be a part of that. Is this all in Ohio or, or just as you pursued your life and moved to other places? Yeah, that call and covenant, yeah, that has always been with me to engage that throughout my throughout my life. But I've I've pretty much lived in Ohio until my wife always lived there until we came to Utah. Hmm. So even though I was traveling some different other parts of the world, she remained in in Ohio. Because this is an issue for so many people, agreeing on faith in a marriage, that seemed even before, from what I've read, very important to you even before the, the wedding, that this was sort of a thing you needed to discuss. It was part of our discussion very early in our relationship. I mean, we may have gone out once or twice. And I said, you know what? And, you know, kind of back. So this is in the late 70s, early 80s. And Community of Christ, the RLDS tradition, was moving out of a one true church ideology. And I guess in some respects, I still held that understanding within my own head in certain ways because I told her, you know, if you're not going to join my church, we're not, this isn't going to go anywhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> so even though we were starting to move out of that, and normally 
movement within the Community of Christ RLDS tradition, for me, has typically come from leaders of a shift that's coming, but it takes a while for it to work down in the life of the church. Mm, right, right. So, so, you know, so that was starting to move that direction, but I was, I was a little slow to get there. <laughs> you mentioned an offshore sailing experience. My uncle had in- introduced me to sailing when he came back from Vietnam. He was building a boat in my grandfather's garage, and so he, hmm. uh, he would travel back from the D.C. area every other weekend to work on his boat, and I got to work on it with him. And so he introduced me to sailing, and then several years later, many years later, in the mid late 90s, a um, colleague of mine in ministry reintroduced me to sailing because he was from Maine and had that experience, and he was uh, serving as an appointee in Ohio. And so I got into sailing, and I had always wanted to do this an offshore sailing experience. And so um, we were taking a boat from Rhode Island, stopping off at Bermuda for a couple of days, and then ending up in the Caribbean. And you weren't worried about the Bermuda Triangle? I wasn't too worried about the <laughs> okay. Bermuda at the time. <laughs> oh, okay. Continue, so, please. Yeah, so, so we don't leave until the 1st of November because um, – that's when hurricane season, they'll let the uh, insurance companies will let the boats back out on the open mm-hmm. waters. And by the time we get to Bermuda after five days, I am just done. It's like, I'm, I just want to, I'll get off here in Bermuda and find a flight home, <laughs> you know. But I reconsidered simply because I paid for the whole trip and I might as well finish this out. And I already had the flight scheduled out of the Caribbean. So we moved on, spent a couple of days in Bermuda and started out again. And it wasn't getting any better. So the day and a half before we arrived in Bermuda, I you know woke up and get ready for my six or seven a.m. shift, whatever it was. It's still dark, and I you know was thinking, man, this is just this is rough. And literally rough water. Well, it was rough water. It was rough on the end of you know because um, a small small sailboat. You know, it, it's rocking and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And someone is on watch continually. And we were on. We had. Two two-man watches, or two-person watches, because we did have a female on board. So it was just very tiring and exhausting. And I got I got up that morning getting ready for my watch and, you know, just thinking how rough it had been. And I asked myself, Blair, where, where have you chose to acknowledge God in the midst of this? Hmm. And I realized I hadn't. So that morning, as I was on watch and my watch partner was sleeping there in the cockpit, I sang some hymns, sang some campfire songs that I was familiar with that was always heartwarming and said a number of prayers in between. And it made the morning and the rest of the passage okay. Hmm. You know, as I watched the sun come up, you know, there was no, you know, lightning bolt of faith coming down on me, <laughs> <laughs> but it made it okay. And... As soon as we got into St. Martin, we got in there like 5 p.m. And on, at 5 a.m., I was on a plane out of there because I was just wanting to be done with this. Hmm. And as the plane takes off and I'm seeing the sunrise, I just start weeping uncontrollably. And it's so weird because it's like I'm not weeping to get home. I'm weeping and longing for the time I'm going to be there, back out there again. And I've come to see that as one of my desert experiences, where you get to the point where you can't do it on your own, and you start to depend on something outside of yourself, 
And that touches you in a deeply profound way that you don't always understand. And so I've come to cherish that and I've made uh, four or five more trips after that trip. (laughs) (laughs) Back into the desert. Back into the desert. Um, It's in those, America used to have a song, Horse With No Name. Yep. The ocean is a desert with its life underground and the perfect disguise above. Uh, but, you know, you're out there and you can't, you know, you can't drink the water. You don't bathe the whole time you're out there because if you run out of fresh water, you're going to be in trouble for survival. Mm. And so uh, I've really come to cherish that time and other desert-like experiences in my life. So you probably relate to those New Testament times when we see Jesus pull himself apart from the multitudes or even his apostles sometimes to be alone. Right. Yeah. And it's out there. And so I, and I always cherished night watches just to be out there in the quiet and the peace and see the sky, and especially in a moonless sky where you can see the vastness of this creation that we're a part of. But yet we're so small, but yet it's also wondrous. There is that feeling of awe and majesty that you're describing. There's also a more intimate kind of a, a relationship. What is that like for you? Do you feel like God responds to your prayers or, or guides you in some way? Yeah, you know, it's kind of looking up in that vastness of space and seeing those stars and recognizing how majestical all this is, and yet God still knows me. Hmm. This, you know, from space is not even a speck of dust. But God knows me and accepts me in the midst of all that I am with that which I do right and even that which I do wrong when I fail and absorbs me in God's grace. Tell me about when you decided to actually study and prepare for ministry more in depth. So, yeah, so I'm on on this trip. Uh, I come back from this trip. My wife and I own the family business at this point. And the business is successful, but it's just not fulfilling anymore. It's not providing, I need something more than this financial success. And to be able to say, yeah, we doubled the business in in a five-year period, a business that was already very successful. Hmm. So we, you know, we did very well with the help of uh, our staff to grow the business, but it was no longer meaningful. And I had to find something else. Uh, So... In a conversation with a competitor, you know, I, I said the business is for sale. Within 30 days of that conversation, the business is sold. Did you ever say to yourself, this is crazy. We're doing the best we've ever done. Um, I did, but I the sense of call was greater. Hmm. Matter of fact, on the way to the attorney's office to close the deal, I start weeping, and my wife was like, I don't know if, you know, she didn't say it to me, but at the time, she didn't know if I was going to go through with it. (laughs) Wow. You know, because the sense of call to what was outside of that was greater. And I guess I come to the realization that, yeah, the people of God could use the benefits of the finances that will come out of your business, but the people of God really need you more. Mm. And so I had to devote myself to that. You got a Master of Arts in Christian Ministries. What did you take away from that that was valuable? Oh, so much. It, I came to understand God's grace in a whole different way than I had understood it before. I come to understand 
the message of Jesus as expressed in the Gospels in a different way. I come to understand Paul in a different way. I've come to understand the uh, the Hebrew Scriptures in a different way, in a way that serving as lay ministry, I would have never devoted my time to understand in that way. Mm. Because you've got a full-time job and other things going on in your life, family and everything else, that you just don't have time to devote, where in purposely choosing to get a master's uh, in that way, it forced me to spend the time in that. And that radically changed my perspective of ministry. And tell me, if you don't mind, serving in uh, Southeast Ohio, West Virginia, then in the Midwest, three different states, the Chesapeake Bay area, two different states, East Asia, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan. What were you doing as you were going to all these different places? My first role with Community of Christ, uh, serving as an appointee, my first several roles were mission center presidents. So I was a jurisdictional leader over Southeast Ohio and West Virginia. And then I was a team leader for Illinois, parts of Iowa and Missouri with four other mission center presidents. So they were the jurisdictional leaders, and I would support them in whatever way they needed me, teaching classes, administrative support, and just various other ways. And then when I went to the Chesapeake Bay, I was also a mission center president for the Chesapeake Bay region, and same way with Korea. I was living in South Korea, but serving in South Korea, Japan, and Taiwan. And then I was supposed to be there for five years, and, and my wife, Denise, was going to join me, and then something happened with her family that she decided she couldn't come. And the church didn't want me over there by myself without her. And so they brought me back. And that's when I served in the Mid-Atlantic region. Mm. And so that's where there was a lot of assignments in a fairly short period of time because (laughs) some things weren't expected for myself or the church. You know, to go to that many places and see that many different believers and work with them, what did you gain from that? What I gained – because most of us know one or two congregations or, you know, we move across the nation and we, we change. Well, yeah, you know, because growing up, I knew the Wheeling, West Virginia congregation. Yeah. And then when I was mission center president for Southeast Ohio and West Virginia, I come to go this greater area. So even within, even though I grew in Eastern Ohio, grew up in Eastern Ohio, when I was mission center president for a larger area, I come to understand that our cultures even within that very close proximity, we're very different. Just the local culture. Just the local culture. And that was a real hard struggle for me. And it was a hard struggle for some of those I was working with too. But even though the culture was different, there was value because they just because we saw things differently, there was value in the midst of that. And so that's one of the things I've come to appreciate everywhere I've been is the value and the goodness of the heart of the people even in the midst of very different cultures. Do you have an example of that? Within Western mind thought, we have this order that you run from home plate to first base to second to third, back to home plate. Uh-huh. In Asian culture, it's more like you run from home plate maybe to second, over to first and third, and maybe back to first and then back to home plate. So <laughs> it's linked in a very different way. And I think there are other cultures that also, you know, because it's not a Western mindset, they just have a different way of thinking about things and connecting things. And so for us in a Western culture, it seems very foreign. We don't understand it. We want to try to change it to match our own way of thinking. But then when we come to understand it, it's like, oh, this light goes on. That's why it's important. Because even though we ran to first base first, 
you missed a connection over at the other base first that you really needed to see before you could make that decision at first base. So that's been the most dramatic probably because it was a, the, in the Asian culture, which is, was not a Western culture and is not a Western culture. And then two years ago, you came to Salt Lake City. Yeah, yeah. I came to Salt And also a very different culture. To add to your list. <laughs> to add to my list. And I think some of the area, you know, serving in some of the area, other areas of the U.S. as well as Asia even helped prepare me for that. Where I grew up in Ohio and other areas I served, I was familiar that the LDS culture was there, but it's, um, I've never was so immersed in it like here in Utah. I suppose, you know, the highest density of, you know, LDS folks in the world are, are, are in this Salt Lake Valley here. So it was just um, coming to get to know that culture as well. Again, very good people wanting to do the right things. But as I said, you know, learning even in Southern Ohio, looking at things through a different lens, a different perspective, but yet still uh, has the right right heart to be right uh, with one another uh, and right in the way that we serve and understand God in the midst of our lives. It seems like being in so many different places, different cultures, might help you actually filter out what's gospel truth and what's just where we live. It, it does do that. I think the ideologies that we have are these things that act and interact in our minds, but the way that we respond to people is probably the gospel for me. And that way we interact with one another has the opportunity for us to be the Samaritan for those lying in the trenches of the roads. No matter where I've been, I've always seen that, that there is a sense of care and need for those struggling in life. Are there experiences that sort of make you think, you know, I believed, but now you know, how can, I, how can I not believe after this? I know I'm asking very personal questions. Yeah, yeah and that's okay. Well, I guess that comes in instances where you sense something that you need to do, and you're not sure why that's coming at you. Maybe it's making a phone call. Maybe it's making a visit, and then you respond to it, and then you say, ah, this is why it's happened. Mm-hmm. Even though I was very disappointed in my time in Korea was, is, was cut so short. I, I don't blame that on my wife. I understand in my head from the church's perspective why they needed to bring me back out without her over there with me. And I, I was really struggling about, you know, God, everything was set in place for me to come over here. You know, now it's only been this short time and I'm getting pulled out. I'm getting sent back and I, I don't understand it. And then some things came to me about what I was able to do in the short time that I was there. And it's not necessarily what I was doing. It's what God was able to do through me because I was being open and receptive and I was aware of the needs that need to, of things that need to take place. And so, you know, I can name about three things that I was able to do there that weren't happening before I got there, but yet happened in a very short amount of time that were positive and are still having long-term effects in the life of the church in Korea right now. So I can say, look at those things and say, boy, that was tough and I didn't understand it. But in hindsight, I see where God's action was alive and well and working there. In the logo for Community of Christ is a lamb and a lion and a child. 
lots of scriptural allusions right there. One thing that I'm really struck by is, and you can correct me on this, that most or all services for Community of Christ begin with a prayer for peace. Yeah, peace is really important to us, and we can look around our world and see the lack of peace. Part of the reason that peace is important to us comes out of some early years of, of our journey uh, in the Joseph Smith era, when, at least from Community of Christ's perspective, we weren't always a peaceful people. But Joseph Smith III uh, kind of starts to guide us into understanding the gospel of peace. And I think Joseph Smith Jr. even tried his best at times to do that. But it, I think it really starts within for Community of Christ into Joseph Smith III era. And it's in that, and that's maybe even links back to that cultural understanding, when we can listen to one another through the eyes and through the culture of the other, we no longer feel the need, at least I don't feel the need, to want to change that culture, but to learn about it and learn what peace that they are bringing to the table as well. And so when we can listen to one another, whether that's in conflict between individuals, conflicts between families, conflicts within congregations, conflicts within inner congregations, interfaith conflicts, when we can start to listen to that, the walls start to break down. And I think, you know, as I understand the gospel of Jesus, that Paul talks about that, you know, I've broken down the walls so that you might be in peace. And these different cultures, the Gentile and the Jewish culture, yeah. you know, it says, you know, Christ has broken down the walls. What are y'all doing? <laughs> Get over yourselves. Get over your need to be individualists or even individualists of cultures and about holding on to what it is because I've got something greater than that. And so I greatly value that symbol of peace and that prayer for peace in which um, we as a faith community hold in, in dear to our hearts. Well, it's certainly made an impression on me. I want to ask what brings you joy about your faith and your practice daily or weekly? Uh, what brings me joy about my faith is one of the things that probably brings me the greatest joy is that, and I've alluded to this earlier, is that my faith and my faith community continue to stretch me. By nature, I think— You're finding joy in something that's a little uncomfortable sometimes. Oh, yeah, I, I do. It's in the questioning and being open to question and explore that we learn. Perhaps from my sailing adventures and those kind of things, I'm kind of adventurous. And so <laughs> I, I, I like to be out there. I'm not comfortable sitting in, in atmospheres that I know. And many people are. Many people need the security of that. But that's definitely not for me. So my faith community challenges and stretches me. And it's in that challenging and stretching that I really find joy. You know, I was out on the Salt Lake yesterday, and it was fairly windy out there. There was Sailing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the winds were up 36 mile an hour. But that's where I was because I wanted to be challenged and stretched, and I just needed that time to get away. When I was interviewed for Community of Christ to, as a, to be an employee, we go through psychological examinations. And the psychologist told me, she said, don't quit sailing. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for you. Yeah, yeah. And so I had to get back. At, but I, because I needed that challenge, it was both mental and physical that are valuable to me. And so that brings me joy. 
Well, you mentioned we get so busy with everything that it's almost like you had to be out on the ocean to find that moment. Yeah, yeah. Because it's out there. Yeah, you, you don't, you, you don't, you know, your cell phones don't work. There's no data. <laughs> it's just you. Blair White is pastor of the Salt Lake City Community of Christ Congregation. I've really enjoyed speaking with you in good faith. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll hear a panel of listeners discuss the ideas presented by our guest, Pastor Blair White. Back in a moment with more of In Good Faith. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. Have you ever had a business or financial success and then felt compelled to change paths? Are you happiest when you're being stretched or when you can stay comfortably where you are? And have you had transformative desert moments? We invited a group of people to listen to our guest and then respond. Dennis Bray is a translator and educator who spends his free time helping raise his grandson. Cynthia Winward is a sourdough bread baker and collector of cookbooks, small business owner who digitizes embroidery designs. Dory Haas loves children, her many nephews and nieces, teaching, and Dr. Pepper. Drew Tocolvi is a colorist, a movie lover, and a music fanatic who's always in pursuit of the world's best French fries. So when the pastor was talking about desert experiences. One of the things that came to my mind was a very long time ago, I rode an airplane for the first time in my life when I was 21 and flew to a country that I wasn't sure that I knew even knew where it was in Japan and decided to be a missionary at that point. And I remember um, leaving those that I loved, leaving those that spoke English. I was flying to a world in my mind that I had no idea about. And I just remember that very long flight in the airplane that I'd never been on before and thinking, is this what, it, is this what it's about? Is this what my life is about at this point? I considered myself to be fairly young at that point, but I remember feeling in that airplane, not knowing anybody else on the flight, not knowing really where I was going to, that God had a plan for me. I didn't know what that plan was at that point in my life, but I knew that he was there. And I was kind of a family gal, farm gal. And so this whole experience kind of ripped my heart apart, if you will. I remember being very, very downtrodden at that point. And I think that God had a plan to get me on that plane to make sure that this is what I really wanted to do in my life. And I was, I refer often to that experience, um, maybe when my faith is weak, that God had a plan for me way back when on my way to Japan. So I was grateful for his experience. Dory, when you're talking about that, that makes me think about, you were describing how you were lonely. I think often, you know, our desert experiences happen, we feel lonely, whether we're actually kind of alone like you were, um, going to a foreign land, or sometimes... I know for myself, sometimes I felt most lonely when I'm actually surrounded by people. Um, I remember there was a point in my life where things were so unbelievably difficult that I had trouble functioning. And um, through through study and meditation, I kind of came up with this 
um, meditation that would he- that would help me heal. And what it was was I would kind of envision myself in this meditation going to an altar and taking off my bag of rocks. And then I would lay that bag of rocks on the table, um, on the altar, and I would kind of longingly look at it and think, okay, this is something I don't necessarily want to let go of, but it's time. It's time to let go. And I remember, um, and and in this meditation, I, I turn around and I walk away from that bag of rocks. And that was to me one of the most difficult desert experiences because I was incredibly lonely, as if I was lonely in a desert, but yet I was surrounded by people. But because of what I was going through, it was so lonely that I had to kind of come up with a way to foster healing. And for me, that was through meditation and going through that each day of laying down that bag of rocks. All this talk about being on a desert, having that desert-like experience, the first thing that I always thought about was the personal trait of perseverance. And that's something I've always struggled with. A little bit of context, when I was in high school, I took a bunch of animation classes and I would make these little cartoons on my computer. I never finished a single one all the way through. I had all these big ideas and big plans to make these fun little stupid cartoons or whatever. (laughs) And I never persevered to finish them. I never had the patience to see it through. One thing that Pastor Blair White was talking about was that he just kept on going even when things got worse. He, He sailed to Bermuda and from there he wanted to fly back home, but he still persevered and pushed forward. And I had a a few experiences where I had to persevere. And I think the only reason why I was successful in my perseverance is because it wasn't a superficial, secular perseverance, but rather more meditative, more through prayer, asking for help from God, as opposed to seeking my own perseverance or my own self-help, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, when I was thinking about uh, what Pastor Blair White was, as you, talking about this desert experience, interesting you mentioned perseverance because I think that we we go through periods of our lives where we're experiencing something that we know we need to be doing and we feel that there's a purpose in what we're doing. And often we persevere despite obstacles and, and um, hardships but I think we get to a point where we, we realize this work is done. Whatever this phase is that, that I'm going through, I've, I've finished. And maybe I'm thinking at the same time, well, I could be doing this or that or what about that? But there's something in us that tells us, you know what, it's time to move on. It's time to, for the next experience, for the next adventure. Sometimes it's difficult to make that leap, to make that decision, you know, to say, okay, I've, I've finished everything that I can possibly do here. Now it's time to do something new or something different. Mm-hmm. That's very subtle and it's sometimes very difficult or sometimes it can be very obvious. Sometimes it can be something that's very blatant, but oftentimes it's, it's, um, it kind of goes against our, our instincts, our, our sort of our instincts are to keep persevering and keep going. And yet there's something in us that tells us, you know what, We've, you've done everything that God wants you to do right now. Now it's time for a new mission or a new adventure. Yeah, we take those experiences, right, that we've gained from that particular adventure and probably use them in our next adventure. Right. I remember when he said, you know, he was weeping on the airplane. I remember 18 months later weeping because I loved these people. I loved the experience that I'd had. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to go home from this 
you know, 18 months later where I was weeping to get on the plane. Um, but I think that's what God has in mind for all of us is these experiences. And I loved how he talked about how we have experiences or I'm not sure he used the word gifts, but that's what popped into my brain, at least when he talked about we have these um, experiences in our life, these gifts that we've been given to help us and help others. You know, as he was talking about um, the value of people, there was just so much that he talked about that I just thought life is good and we have gifts and we have to figure out what those gifts are. And I think as you talked about, Dennis, taking those experiences and then moving on, we develop gifts that God has given us and we use Mm -hmm. them to bless other lives, don't we? Right. And one thing you were talking about, Dory, that really caught my ear um, in relation to what Blair White was was speaking about was that uh, there's power in culture and power in the differences of culture. And like your experience in Japan, I had a similar experience. I spent a few years in Russia, um, and that was a very different culture, but not so different than ours. Um, and there was there was value in the differences, but there was also value in the similarities. Um, and I remember I would write home, uh, I'd write emails to my parents every once in a while, and I had a little tradition where I would uh, – state a fun little fact about Russia of some sort of difference. And then after a few months, I realized there weren't really that many differences. And I kind of stopped yeah. doing that and hmm. realized I grew to like those differences and to, to really appreciate them. And it was frustrating at first. And I, I liked how Blair White was saying how you just, when you're frustrated, when you don't understand uh, another culture and other people, you want to change it to kind of, acclimate to your own ideas and your own understandings but it was an experience that I had where I had to grow and understand and appreciate the differences and to acclimate to that culture and it's this idea that you know there isn't no there is no dominant culture in the world everyone has their own culture yeah. and that should be appreciated and understood and respected in a way um, I, I really uh, thought that was a really interesting thing that he spoke about I thought um, Drew going along with that when he um, talked about seeing value, uh, finding value and seeing things differently. And he and he said that the way we respond to people is the gospel to me. And I thought, isn't that beautiful? And, and I feel like lately as I've tried to think more about my faith and more about my relationship with God, that really it's all about relationships, right? Like we're all here um, – trying to find those commonalities like you were talking about. We're here to um, learn to love people unconditionally. We're, we're here to serve and grow that way. And it, and it reminds me of, you know, in the Bible, it says that, you know, the first and second great commandment are to love God and then to love our neighbor. And that just really struck me when he said that that's the gospel to him is learning how to respond to other people. Right. I was going to actually pick up on exactly the same point because I, I feel like there is this kind of dichotomy. You know, it's like he mentioned how Christ, you know, went off into the desert to be alone and then immediately would come back and um, and serve the people. And that's sort of, um, I think, very parallel in our own lives. We we um, we all have that need to, uh, to, to connect with God personally, individually. And that's a very personal 
experience, and nobody can really do that for us, you know. Uh, even if it's just looking up into the stars, I think he mentioned, and and sort of um, feeling the grandeur, you know, feeling that I am nothing, and yet I know that God knows who I am. And then having that individual experience, and then taking that back, and then rather than just turning inward, taking that and turning outward and serving others, and that is the gospel. You know, I mean, if we if we think about the gospel that that uh, that he's referring to here, that you know, and even Paul, he talks about Paul as well, you know, saying um, that Christ has broken down all the walls. Why? Why is there conflict? There is no need for conflict. You know, your job is to 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 love and to serve, and there's that's that's the gospel in in a nutshell, really. Yeah, I have a quote that. Um is kind of on my way out the door every morning. And it says, the purpose of the task is to strengthen the relationship. Mm. And mm. Um, that always gives me a little punch as I'm leaving, right? To remember that it doesn't matter if somebody cuts me off on the way to work or if <laughs> something happens at work that may make me grouchy for a few minutes. But I have to remember that the reason that this task is in front of me is to strengthen that relationship, whether it's with a child, whether it's with a BYU student, whether it's with um, a sibling or somebody in the in the neighborhood, but I think that that gives me a sense of purpose, which I think that's what he was talking about. Is we all have a sense of purpose, and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what our purpose is here on Earth. This is a conversation in good faith. Listeners sharing their thoughts on the first half of today's show with Pastor Blair White. Find the full episode online at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. Now back to the conversation. Blair White talked about how he is uncomfortable being in comfortable places. and He needs the challenge. He needs to be stretched. And I can really relate to that because maybe I'm just ADD or something, but I get very bored if I'm in a situation that becomes too... Uh, routine or too comfortable to me. I feel like I need to get out and and find new challenges. And I've had the opportunity to live in Europe and in South America, and those have been experiences that definitely challenged me and stretched me. And I and I almost felt more comfortable in that uncomfortableness than living in my quiet, peaceful little community in Utah. You know, where everything's just kind of safe. And I love where I live, and I love my family life and everything that I, that I have. But I know that those times when I was able to be challenged and stretched were, the, were really, in some ways, the happiest times of my life. And, and I think that there's, you know, not everybody's like that and not everybody needs that. But I can relate to what he was saying in terms of just needing to be, uh, to be stretched. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And one thing I really loved about what he spoke about, Blair White, was that... Um, the ability to question helps him learn and grow. And I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, especially within my own idea of faith and understanding God. I've always questioned everything that I've been taught, for better or for worse. I've always struggled with doubts and faith. But the fact that I can question and seek answers to those questions have helped me grow in faith rather than the opposite of not. And I, I think the idea of stagnation can also be a more, I think it could weaken faith rather than strengthen it. And I, I, I firmly believe the ability to question 
these ideas and things that you've been taught in terms of your religion and your faith are more beneficial to you spiritually than to blindly accept and grow stagnant. And that resonated with me very, very well because I've I've only ever questioned things in my life and <laughs> I've always found answers, but it's those that questioning spirit of that I have, that doubtful spirit that's led me to answers. And so, yeah, like I said, for better, for worse, <laughs> being able to question it's helped me learn. Helped that, me grow. that really resonates with me, Drew. Maybe we're kindred spirits, but yeah. <laughs> I feel like I appreciate questions more now than I do answers. I feel like I'm more comfortable now holding paradoxes. You know, it could be A or it could be B. And I'm kind of okay now saying, well, maybe it's not either. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's both. But I really liked that he said, you know, my faith, he talks about he finds joy when his faith stretches him. And you know, I, I like to, I kind of describe myself as someone who, you know, has layers and layers of these, of an onion, you know, and I, I'm never happy at layer one. I like to peel and I like to go deeper and deeper and question everything and pick everything apart. And, and often, you know, friends or loved ones will say to me, gosh, you think too much, you know, and I, and I know they don't mean it to be a hurtful comment, but sometimes it kind of hurts because I think, well, that's just how my brain works. I can't, I can't be, you know, just someone who maybe they get an answer or they feel like it's an answer and they're ready to move on. I kind of want to peel back all those layers of an onion and I want to question and I want to hold these paradoxes. And and like Blair said, you know, something that stretches me, that's when I find joy. I am grateful for all of you because sometimes I am just happy to be in my little corner of the earth. <laughs> Which is okay. <laughs> but I but I think that as I as I watch people like you right? As I watch you take courage and try new things. I think, as he talked about, you know, being a community, then I think that example helps me to gain a little bravery, if you will, to be able to say, you know what, I can move to a new area. And I don't have to just be in my little corner of the world, and I can take on a new job. So I appreciate that there are people in the world like you, as as Pastor White mentioned, he said, listen to one another through the eyes of the other. Mm. Because I think we gain experience and we gain courage by listening and watching each other. It's that idea of empathy I think a yeah. lot of the world lacks. One thing he was speaking about is this prayer for peace. And he went on to talk about how Joseph Smith III helped develop a gospel of peace within the RLDS religion or the community of Christ religion. And I've been looking around the world. Obviously, peace is something that the world lacks a lot of. And I think it boils down to empathy and being able to see through the eyes of the people around you. And it's the idea of understanding culture. Granted, there has been some things that have been more peaceful around the world. But I think there's still quite the lack of empathy and seeing the differences in one another. I don't know. What do you guys think about I think it has to start right here, right? I mean, I think it has to start in our neighborhoods. It has to start in our families. Because sometimes I think we end up treating our families a little different than we might treat others outside of our home, you know? And so I think we have to really stop and think about, what did I just say to her? You know, mm-hmm. my um, sister and, and her husband are living with me right now. And I live by myself. So that has been... Um, that has been a real challenge for me to 
have people in my space and have to talk to people when I come home from work. (laughs) (laughs) And it's been a real eye-opening experience to me to say, you know what, this is hard for them too. It's not just hard for me. And so I think we have to start with that that concept of, of empathy, you know, as we step out as we step out of bed in the morning, and mm-hmm. make sure that we're offering that gift because I think it really is a gift, offering that gift of empathy, which then leads us down the road to peace. Um, well, actually, that ties into that that point, and I I think um, you know even within groups where we we like family or congregation or community where we all feel that we share a certain culture. Um, we should never take for granted that culture and never just assume that we all think alike, you know. Definitely. And we can all have different political perspectives or we can all have different um, backgrounds. You know, we, we were not all raised by the same parents, and so we're, we're all going to have different uh, perspectives. And I think it's really important within our communities to strive for, um, you know, it's interesting. My my father always has a, a thing that he always says. He's eighty years old now, and he always says that his his mother, so my grandmother, always taught him that the most important thing he could do in life was to be a peacemaker. That was kind of his motto. And my my father's always had a, a very um, sort of um, um, tranquilizing effect, I guess, on hmm. on the family. You know, because he's always been able to sort of get our family to um, uh, to sort of see past any differences we may have and to, and to, to resolve conflicts. And that's something that's always stuck with me, that regardless of our, like I said, political differences or regardless of our cultural differences, um, it, it's, you know, in ultimately, does, you know, the, the, I guess my question is, does God really care about our political or our cultural Differences. What he really cares about is, can we love each other? Can we be at peace with each other? Yeah. Subcultures. That's all I could say. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, I've I've experienced the idea of not being completely harmonious and within one culture. Um, there's always been um, backlash if someone has an alternate viewpoint, and that's obviously a negative, not a positive thing. And like you said, Dennis, that's best to be able to understand and and, but in the end yeah it doesn't matter what you know kind of ideals that we have as long as we love one one another i think that's the most important thing and some people struggle to love another that has a different idea or different ideologies Mm -hmm. one thing that stood out to me was when he he talked about um he said god still knows me even when he was making good decisions or maybe when he was making wrong decisions. And I think that's something that we're often afraid of in our culture. We're kind of afraid um, to share what those mistakes are with people because they would see us less than. And I liked that he acknowledged that um, that God knows him in his strengths and in his weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember not too long ago kind of learning um, the original um, meaning of the word sin in the Bible, and it meant missing the mark. And that's kind of changed everything for me as I thought about, you know, sin is really just experience in life. It's missing the mark, but that's okay. We can try again and we can do things again. And, and I don't need to be so harsh on others and on myself. 
uh, when I see that they're missing the mark as well, because it's part of growing and learning, and God still knows me, even in, even in those ways that I make errors and mistakes. Mm-hmm. And going back um, also to this idea that he, he mentioned early on, Pastor Blair uh, White mentioned early on about feeling that God had um, a purpose for him. And I, I think that in some ways that's sort of, um, I think we all to some degree feel that uh, we have a need for wanting to know what, what it is that God wants us to, to, to be or to do, you know, and that's a, sort of an, I think, a basic existential question that we all have. It's like, um, uh, why am I here? You know, what, what, what does, you know, uh, what is my purpose here on this planet, you know? And I, I, think, I think it's really interesting that he identified that as, at a very young age and was able to go with it and, um, and ultimately, you know, do exactly what he felt that God wanted him to do. And um, I think that's, um, I, I think I struggle with that because I've had different roles in my life. And sometimes I've, been, I've had times in my life where I've thought, what in the world am I supposed to be doing right now? <laughs> You know, um, and here I am getting older and I'm thinking, what should I do when I grow up? You know, <laughs> and here I, am. I think it's a question we all need to constantly be um, asking ourselves, you know, where does God want me right now? I think at the very end of that, too, Dennis, he talked about, you know, we get busy and we lose those moments where we mm-hmm. go inside of ourselves or we have that desert experience again. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important as we grow up in this life, to remember to stop and have those moments where we connect with him again, and we can find out what our next Mm -hmm. purpose is. That's our time for today. Thanks to our panelists, Dennis, Cynthia, Dory, and Drew, and especially to the pastor, Blair White, for generously sharing his stories and his faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Where do you listen to In Good Faith? We'd love to know. Email us at ingoodfaith at byu.edu. Find us online at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Our Twitter feed is at InGoodFaithBYU. InGoodFaith is a production of BYU Radio. Our student assistant is Lisey Clegg. I'm your host and producer, Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join us again soon right here in Good Faith.